encourage us and exhort us and correct us. Let's just set our hearts for a few minutes. Our Father, we come to you in, in Jesus' name. Washed in his blood. Clothed in his righteousness. We come to you, Father, bowing our, our hearts to you, our souls to you, our bodies to you. We come tonight in your presence as we gather together in your name that you're here among us. We come desiring you. We come to know more about you, to see you more clearly. We come to shake off the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the day and, and, and the onslaught of what our minds and souls have absorbed today. We shake that off. We put it aside. We bury it. Because we only want to hear you, my God. We only want to hear you. Father, uh, we come weary. We're tired, many of us, tonight. But we are hungry for you. We're hungry for you, for your word to come forward tonight, for your Holy Spirit to move tonight, for your will to be done tonight. We're desirous of you and you alone. And so we take a moment tonight and, and quiet our souls, settle, settle our souls. And we look to you to hear your voice to see it in your word, to sense it in our spirits and in our hearts, to move us to action, to change us into the becoming more like you tonight. Thank you as we come together as the body, as your body, we come in one accord. We come in unity. We all have the same hunger and desire. Differences are aside, but you are front and center tonight. As we wait on you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, bless this word tonight as it comes forward. Anoint my lips to speak your word and your word only. And uh, quicken my mind to hear your, your voice, to share it with my brothers and sisters here tonight. And open our hearts to receive what you have to say tonight, to acknowledge that this is for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, thank you all for coming out tonight on a Wednesday night Bible study. That's exactly what we're going to do. Thank you for those of you who are tuning in online. We appreciate your participation. Uh, 
As the Apostle Paul often prayed, while I'm here, my spirit is there with you uh, wherever he was ministering. And, and so uh, we know your spirit is here with us and, and vice versa because, again, we are one accord. We are together. We are one body, whether present physically or, or together, uh, always in the spirit. So uh, I'm excited about tonight. Uh, the message is, is uh, uh, somewhat intense. We're going to do a lot of Bible reading, uh, particularly in the book of Hebrews, I think exclusively in the book of Hebrews. But before we, we start, I just have a couple of questions for you guys to think about. I want you to think about, you know, as you were growing up, what was your image of God? You know, when, when you had an impression of God as a child or in your early teens or young adulthood, before you started to really pursue him. Now, I know some of you were like three when you got saved and you've been pursuing him diligently ever since. But uh, for many of us, myself included, I was, you know, in college when I was saved. And even after that, it was several years before uh, we began to pursue him seriously. So think about what, what was your image? You know, how, how did you see him? Did you see him as a stern and, and unrelenting, authoritative, kind of a, a hard uh, and punishing kind of a God? Or, or, or did you see him as kind and caring and, you know, the lamb over the shoulders and playing with the children in the, in the marketplace? Did you see him like, like that? Um, I realize those are kind of two extremes, right? But think about how if you were to lean one way or the other, which way would you lean uh, in, in either of those two extremes? And, and then the follow-on question to think about uh, to yourself really is, is, is or really let's share, how do, you, how do you see him today? You know, now that you've been pursuing him for some time now, now that you, you've known him and, and, and experienced him, uh, what... what what are some of the words that describe God? In anybody, send out a word. What's, what's a word that comes to mind when I say, this is my God. He is loving. What else is he? Kind and patient. Forgiving. Omnipresent. What's that? Friend. He's a friend. Yeah. That's exciting. It's good. And he is all of those things. He's a wonderful God. Merciful. Did I hear that one? I think so. Merciful. He is, his mercy is new every morning. Thank you, God. Um, what I did not hear was consuming fire. Hebrews. So we're going to focus on this. Our key scripture for tonight is Hebrews chapter 12, 28 and 29. Sharon has that. Thank you. So therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. I think we can stop right there. <laughs> That's a powerful statement. How do we consider ourselves as friends of God, you know, children of God, as, as saved by God, redeemed by him, and, and yet still have a godly fear of him? Doesn't it seem a little bit contradictory? How do we handle that? Um, can we come boldly into the throne of grace in our time of need but still come fearfully? How, how do we manage that? Um, so, so we're going to go and grasp the context of the scripture by studying it through the book of Hebrews and finding out what the author intended 
when this verse was written so that we can recognize what this message is about. And yes, our God is a consuming fire. Don't ever lose sight of that. Um, but the good news is you're saved. But we're going to see through tonight's message that that's not a once and done kind of a situation. We're going to learn that this consuming fire uh, is... Uh, it's something that we need to contend with and be always conscious of and aware of. Not only for those who are lost, but for those of us who are saved. Those of us who are already following Christ Jesus. So we're talking about Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, not the Hebrews. The epistle, Hebrews, right? So uh, this was a, a, an epistle written to the Hellenistic Jews of the day in the first century, probably around 60 AD. And uh, the author is uncertain. Most would believe that it was the Apostle Paul. Nothing wrong with standing on that conviction. Um, Although, I guess the scholars would say, well, maybe this style and that style would say otherwise. But uh, I'm not going to debate that. The Holy Spirit is the one who wrote it. We need to receive it as such. Uh, Again, written around 60 AD, plus or minus five or ten years or so. Um, And it's it's really an expose. If you think about the book of Hebrews, and all of you have read this book over and over, right? I imagine, uh, I I know most of you here, and and you've been through this book. And it's an interesting book, and it's fun to read uh, because it's an expose of the superiority of Christ over Judaism, the superiority of Christ over over really anything else, but especially over over the traditions of, of Judaism. So, so the, the context is that many of the early Jewish believers um, were starting to get a little bit weary. You know, they'd been scattered, they'd been persecuted, they've suffered tribulation. They first believed and they received the Lord with, 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 with great joy and vigor, and they were following after Jesus. But over the time, uh, they were starting to kind of fall back into their old way of life. Uh, because, you know, well, Jesus hadn't come back for them yet, and uh, they're enduring a way of life now that wasn't quite as comfortable as they were before when they were welcomed into the synagogue and they had their friends and family around them. And, uh, you know, so they're starting to fall back a little bit into their old ways, impatient for uh, the return of the Lord and enduring persecutions and tribulations and temptations in the process. So, so, so the author systematically shows us the comparison of Jesus and the angels, the comparison of Jesus and Moses, of, of Jesus and the old covenant versus the new covenant, the, the old Aaronic priesthood versus the new uh, priesthood in Jesus and so forth and so on. So, so typically, and this is for me speaking, this is how I've always looked at the book of Hebrews. It's a really nice comparison that shows you the superiority of the Christianity of the Christian faith. And so that's how I would always read this. Um, but, but, for Gentile believers today, what does that mean, right? I don't know, was any of you raised a, as a Jewish believer? Anybody grow up in a synagogue? or so, Nobody, right? I mean, how many of you went to church as a child? Everybody? Most everybody? Yeah, most of you went to church as a kid, right? So, so, so you saw something with regard to Christianity, not, not Judaism. But so, so what does this mean to us? Well, you know, we can take joy in this great comparison that our faith may be superior to, to others, um, but in this epistle is an extremely stern warning to us, us today. Think, think about it this way. Where, where has your walk gone? Like if you thought about yourself, your lifestyle, and the way you lived before you got serious with Jesus, and your lifestyle and the way you live today, how, how, how has it changed I mean, I mean, just think about it, you know, honestly to yourself. You know, if, if people saw you when you were 
in the world and they saw you today, would they really see, whoa, what a 180-degree difference? Would they see that in you? Now, some of you maybe. I mean, some of you who, you know, were saved from addictions or, or, or a horrible background and delivered from oppressions or what have you, absolutely it would be visible and obvious, right? But, but for many of us who grew up in a church and were raised in a certain way, and, and so we have this lifestyle that we were comfortable with and grew up in, then we got serious about Jesus, we got saved, we got to know him, and suddenly we started to pursue him, and our joy and our vigor and our zeal was strong, and then we started to feel the persecution and the weight, and he, when is he coming back, and then this trouble came, and that challenge came, and, and suddenly you find yourself sliding back to the way you were comfortable. Does that make sense? Is that resonating with anybody? You know, can, you can see how, while that was written to Hellenistic Jews and how they kind of skipped out of Judaism and now they're sliding back, sure, you can see how that would happen. But can you see how it happened to us in our own walk? It's important to recognize that. So, so, and it doesn't matter how, you know, what church you went to, you know, you could have been raised in the Catholic church, a Baptist church, Lutheran, you know, it could have been a Pentecostal church, a, a Word of Faith church, it doesn't matter, you were comfortable in a certain zone, right, and those were traditions in many ways that you slowly got bored with, or tired of, or eventually the, the, the cares of the world started to oppress the joys of being in Christ, um, so, so you could easily fall back into the old way of being just like the Jews did in the days of this book of Hebrews. So, so this is an exhortation in this letter to keep the faith and to not fall away. So is it possible to fall away? We're going to see that. And uh, so, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick out various verses throughout the book of Hebrews. I'm going to have, I'll read them from my notes, Sharon, I'll put them on the screen and uh, I'm going to highlight certain areas where I believe is the primary threat of this and what will lead us to the understanding that our God is a consuming fire. And then I want you to think about these things as it relates to you and that sort of that background that I just laid uh, for you. So, of course, we'll start in Hebrews chapter 1 in the first four verses here. The author says, Look, God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name. Than they. So the author is, first of all, establishing, look, Jesus is God. You know, this is an area that if you were to say that to anybody but people in here tonight, they might go, huh? No, Jesus is, is the son of Mary and Joseph, or, yeah, maybe he was God-like, or maybe... No, Jesus is God, come in the flesh. He's powerful, and he's mighty, and he's the express image of the Father. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God is a consuming fire, Jesus is a consuming fire, as is the Holy Spirit, as we would be baptized in a good kind of that fire. So, so Jesus is God. So the author is saying, look, first of all, you've got to understand we're talking about Jesus here, not some, 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 some old, old, old-fashioned story, right? So this is Jesus, not some random prophet. 
with a nice message who died long ago. This is Jesus. So he starts right off with the power of knowing who he is. And then, he, and then, and then again, I can't read the whole book. We don't, we, we, you, you guys can read the whole book. Please do that for your homework this week and see if this thread resonates with you as you read it afresh and anew. Now we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 2, 1 and 4. And the first thing we're exhorted to is not to drift away from the truth of our salvation. So we see in Hebrews chapter 2, the first four verses, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to those things which we have heard, lest we drift away. You see that? Don't, don't drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast. Now, now who, is, who are the angels? So I had to look this up because I don't remember angels, you know, word being written in here. But, but what, it, what it's referring to are the angels... Um, in, in Acts chapter 7, Luke describes uh, when Moses heard the voice at the burning bush as, as being an, an angel or a messenger there. And also when Moses received the law. So there was angels or vet messengers there. So we know that God spoke to Moses and God wrote on the tablets, right? But, but Luke described them as, having, having, uh, as the angels. So here in the Hebrews uh, epistle, he's saying the words spoken by the angels, this is the law, right? So... So he's, he's talking about lest we drift away for the word spoken through the angels, the law proves steadfast. And every transgression and disobedience in the law received a just reward. So if that's true, verse, five, or verse 3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also, bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So, that can't be right. Oh, maybe it is. Okay. <laughs> so, so, the exhortation is, look, don't drift away, because if you fall back from what you started to believe in, you're going to be back in the law, and if you transgress, transgress the law, how can you escape the punishment? In other words, don't turn your back on this great salvation that we have. Don't turn your back on it, right? We have to continually contemplate and thank God for our salvation. That is the message that we need to bring to the world, our salvation, right? So, so that's what's, what he's saying here in, in, in chapter 2. Nobody can keep the law, and we're in need of a sa- salvation, and therefore we have Jesus as our Savior. Now, the next ex- exhortation that I draw from chapter 2 is not to sin, but rather suffer temptation without yielding to it. Let's look at this in chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11. For it was fitting for him, this is Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Who's he talking about? Us, Christians, right? This message is to us not just the Hebrews in the day of the first century. So this verse reminds us again that all things consist in Christ and for Christ and that he was made perfect then through his suffering. And that we who are being sanctified are one with Jesus. And John, the Gospel of John makes that very explicit. Uh, we are one with him, which is mind-blowing. 
uh, but something to meditate on because, because it's true. Um, so, so, so if he suffered, we're to endure suffering, but, but in what way? How are we to endure suffering? And, and so verse 18 of chapter 2, the, the writer says, Look, for in that he himself has suffered, look at how he suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So the suffering we as Christians, as followers, are to endure is to say no to temptations of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We need to put that down, say no to that, right? Because that's the stuff that draws us away from Jesus, drifting away. Do not drift away. And one way to avoid that is to say no to temptation, which turns to sin. So how do we drift away? Well, it's not always the big one right? It's not always, wow, I'm going to go commit some adultery today. You know, it's not that. I'm going to go steal. Don't worry, that was just hypothetical. Uh, it's not always, I'm going to go, you know, rob a bank or, 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 no, it's really more about, you know, I'm really tired and I don't want to go to church tonight. Or um, I know that I was supposed to give a $10 bill to that person on the street, but, I, but I, the traffic light changed. You know, it's, it's the subtle things where you're not listening to the Spirit inside you and you start to not hear him after a while. And then you drift away into your comfortable lifestyle where you never would have considered giving or coming to church. It's the subtle things. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Uh, so, so those are the things that cause us to drift away from what the Holy Spirit is, is asking of us. So, so it begins to pursue our own passions and our own desires instead of those that God has for us, the leading of the Holy, even if they're good ones. You know, maybe you're, 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 you're on fire to go and serve the poor in Puerto Rico for three months and you just want to make sure you get a chance to bring some, some physical blessings to those. But but maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, no, I, I, I really need you at Faith Christian Center because I want you to work at Providence Rescue Mission. It's the Holy Spirit that needs to make that decision, not your passion or desire, even if your passion and desire is, is a good one. So, so those are the things that cause us to drift away. So again, it's not always the big sin where you're tempted to do something else. Sometimes it's the ignoring of the moving of the Spirit within you. And that becomes a sin in and of itself. You're becoming disobedient. And we know that disobedience is the beginning of sin, which leads to death, and so forth and so on. Okay, so, so we're exhorted not to drift away, not to sin, uh, to follow those temptations. And then the next exhortation is to not to rebel, but to be faithful. And we'll start with Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, that's us, partakers of the heavenly calling, that's us, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. And, and verse 2 says, who was faithful to him who appointed him. So, so Jesus, our high priest, was faithful to the Father in all things. There was nothing where he said, I don't really want to go to the synagogue today. <laughs> nothing in him that said, I think I'm going to take a vacation in the Mediterranean because I'm really weary. You know, unless the father said that was okay to do, don't get me wrong, rest is okay. Vacations are okay. But there was nothing in Jesus. He was faithful in all things uh, to his father. And he compares him here to Moses who was faithful in all things in his house. 
So he's the ultimate example for us of being faithful. Jesus is. Verses 3 through 6 says, For this one has been counted worthy of more glory, that's Jesus, than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God, and Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, okay, now, if we are his house, what does it say? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. It's not just the beginning when you said, Jesus, be Lord, but if we hold fast, firm to the end. We are his house in this situation. And then let's keep going in verse 7 through 10. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, everybody say today. Today. All right. If you will hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. As, is, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Whoa. Ha, ha, have you seen his works since you became a Christian? Have you experienced a touch of healing? Have you experienced a blessing financial? Have you experienced a reconciliation of a loved one? Have you experienced the joy and peace that you didn't have before? Have you experienced his works? You have, right? But do you know his ways? It's not enough to have experienced. You have to know his ways. He's exhorting us to know, to hear his voice today and to know his ways. Otherwise, you might harden your heart. Yeah, I heard that voice. I've seen that before. Not interested today. And that is a rebellion, and it has its consequences. Let's read on in chapter 3. Hebrews three eleven through 15. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, verse 12, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Boy, there's a whole lot to unpack in there. Uh, But clearly there's an opportunity to miss entering his rest. and, And it comes from the deceitfulness of sin. And sin is so subtle, you don't even know you're sinning. You know, the subtle examples of 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 the light changed when he said, do the $10. You know, the people could have behind would have honked, but you still would have been obedient to God, right? 
if, if that's what God told you to do. There's, there's that subtle, sinful, deceitfulness of sin, and the, the small ones lead to the medium ones that lead to the big ones, and the next thing you know, you are out of the picture. Now, it also says, look, you know, it says, um, exhort one another. So part of the part of being in the body of Christ together is we need to observe each other uh, with a loving eye to say, man, you, you, you haven't been here in a while. Are you okay? What's going on? May I pray for you? Let's pray together. Have you been close to the Lord lately or feeling far away? I've been there. How can I help you? Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Strengthen. We need one another because we all go through those days. We all go through those valleys. We all go through those times when we feel like God has left us. And we need each other to come on board and say, He still loves you. Hang on. I'm hanging there with you and you're going to get through this. That comes from each other. So exhort one another while it's called today because what happens is if that deceitfulness of sin bears fruit, it's going to lead to rebellion. Somebody's not going to make it into the kingdom of God and you're going to go, didn't they go to our church? And that should break your heart, not be a judgmental, I told you they were going to hell, right? No, that should break your heart. All right, the next exhortation. Am I making sense? Everybody ready to run and shout and dance and glory, hallelujah? It's going to get better. <laughs> not, not really. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, exhorted to be diligent to enter his rest. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4 now. And uh, the uh, verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hmm. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom what we must give an account. You can deceive yourself. You can deceive others, but there's no deceiving God. And when you get drawn into the judgment seat and he starts to call you out, he's going to say, what did you mean when you said that to this person over here 17 years ago, three days and four seconds? Because cause I know what you meant. And you're not going to be able to say, well, he really angered me and I just couldn't help myself, but I just told him off. No, he's not going to care about that. <laughs> he's going to say, why did you allow offense to enter your heart? Right? So, so he knows everything. Right? So we've got to be diligent to enter the rest. Look, you know, these, these, Israel, these Hebrew children in the example of the wilderness, right? If you think about it, right? They were delivered from slavery uh, in, in, in Egypt, right? So their, their lifestyle is a lifestyle of slavery. And they were delivered with a mighty hand. They saw... God's works on their behalf throughout that Exodus journey. We don't have time to pull all that out, but it was amazing, that story. And, and, and then they actually met the Lord at Mount Sinai. They, they, they saw the rumblings and the fire and the lightning. They heard his, his voice speaking. So these, these people then get in, into that wilderness situation, and, and, and they're on the path. And so they, they, they start to, to think about things the way they were. 
right? So, so they're, they're like wandering, they're following the cloud and the pillar of fire, and, 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 and so they start to murmur a little bit, and God provides. But, but you know, they're on, I don't know if you ever, I've never been to, to the Sinai Peninsula, but I've seen pictures, and it looks like a horrible place. Dry, hard, rocky, nothing there, nothing growing, nobody, no people around, you know, no, no, uh, no nightclubs, no bar, no, no, just kidding. <laughs> There's nothing going on, I mean, so, so they left this place of relative comfort in Egypt and went to this horribly hard place, but the one thing that was different was they had the presence of God. Should have been enough. But because of their flesh, you know, they, they started to, to think, I don't know where we're going. Look, Moses, he thinks he knows where we're going. We just move when the cloud moves. We have no idea when this is going to end, and we were way more comfortable in Egypt. Can you blame him, really? I mean, if you really think about it, we were so much more comfortable there. The food, the leeks, the onions, so many things were, were so much better there than, than what we have going on here. So, so they began to think about, well, I'd love to be able to just put down roots like a normal family. I don't know, you know, setting up the tent, taking down the tent, setting up, you know, that, you know they just, they had no, no roots. They had God, but they didn't have anything else. Uh, in, in the natural sense. So, so apart from God, in their natural eyes, they began to doubt what God was saying, which was to follow me. And as they doubted that, they entered into what God just described as a rebellious situation. And, and so, so when, they, when they spied out the land to go into the promised land, ten of them came back saying, we can't do this. And God was like, all right, well, then all of you are going to die in the wilderness because your heart of, is rebellious toward us. And then only a couple will go into the promised land who didn't have that heart of rebellion. But what can we learn from this tonight? I mean, we, we too, we also have been delivered from a life of slavery, right? We were slaves to sin, weren't we? we we've been delivered out of that, that darkness into his, his marvelous light. But only by his grace and mercy. We didn't do it of our own works. It was him who did this. We've seen the works of God. We know his power and might that he's worked on, uh, toward us on our behalf. We have heard his voice. Um, however... However, what happens when those challenging times come? You didn't get that healing. Somebody passed away that shouldn't have. Um, You've been doing the same thing for 15 years and you're getting tired of it. Uh, What happens when when we wonder and, and the truth comes at us and we begin to doubt you know, the, 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 the world or the, some slight twist of doctrine comes into play and we begin to chase after another wind of doctrine. What happens when we start to think I'd rather take a more comfortable path than the path I think I'm on today? That's when we have the opportunity to rebel from the calling of God. We think in our heart, well, God, God, God knows our heart, even if our actions are wrong. He knows our heart. We, we think we're all set because Jesus has taken away the sins of the world. Those are true statements. But we can rest on that. But the subtle changes in our lifestyle, we think, we think well, the, you know, we stop swearing, so we're good. Right? We, you know... So, so we, the subtle changes, we, oh, the God's happy with that. And then we hunker down. We just wait on God to act. We don't pursue knowing him. It's the same kind of rebellion that the, the children of Israel had in the wilderness. They just started to look back at their old lifestyle and that comfortable way of living, and they slowly wanted to go back, and so consequently they did not enter into his rest. 
Now look, um, the writer encourages us here, right? So we're going to go into Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And, 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 and we're going to see what to do in that situation. Seeing then that we have a, a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he, he it was in all points tempted as we are, yet, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, so as we go through those wilderness challenges in our lives, he exhorts us, said, look, Jesus knows. Don't be condemned because of the temptation to slide back. Jesus knows, but don't slide back. Rather, go into the throne of grace in your time of need and cry out to the Father saying, strengthen me, your will be done. In fact, let's look, chapter 5, verse, verse 7 through 9. This is exactly what Jesus did. The captain of our salvation and our Lord, Hebrews 5, 7 to 9, said, Who? Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard. Why? Because of his godly fear. The Son of God had a godly fear to the Father God. He had that much reverence for God that even though he was facing this terrible situation, he was crying out to God, if there's another way, what did he say? Nevertheless, if it be thy will. Right? Your will be done. He said, so, so with godly fear, verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So he went to the throne of grace in his time of need, his most critical time of need, and thank God he did because he was able to then consummate that ultimate delivery uh, for us, and now we need to do the same, and we find ourselves challenged in the same way. All right, that next exhortation, let me check my time here. All righty. You guys good? All right. I haven't seen anybody run out yet. Uh, <laughs> all right. We're going to go a little bit speedier on these next ones. Uh, the next exhortation was not to become sluggish. Sluggish. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. That's all of us. And if you fall away, like really fall away, I'm not talking about like if you made a mistake. If you make a mistake, you confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about that subtle wearying and wearing down of your convictions and you're fading away from your love for him and your obedience to him. And eventually, it may not be by your voice, but by your actions, you're no longer following him. 
That's a fading away. And if you get to that place, there's no other... We'll read on. Uh, six through nine, uh, chapter 6, 9 through 12. But belo- so he encourages us again. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. And that's us too. Yes, things accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forgive you. Uh, to, sorry, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, and you do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit, inherit the promises. So the exhortation to us tonight, and for many of us as I look across the audience, we've been serving God a long time. And he's not going to be unjust not to recognize what we've done. But what he's saying is don't stop. Don't quit. Don't retire. I'm not saying you can't retire from a full-time position or, or step down from a role you've had, but you always need to be a Christian. You always need to look to the person in the street, look to the person in the marketplace, look to them in the eye, give them a touch, give them a hug, tell them I'll pray, Whatever, however God leads you to bless them and love them, and lead them to Christ. Go into that marketplace with that conviction. Now, we need you to serve in the church too, so if you're going to step down from an arduous role, if it's becoming weary, then take another role. Always be present in the church too. Be in the foyer. I, you know, I saw you a few Sundays, and I don't know your name. Where you live? How long you been coming? You know, exhort one another while we still have today. There's so much we can do in our obedience to Christ, which some in the, in the church, in the ministry, and others just in our walk as Christians. So don't become sluggish. All right. Uh, yes. Okay, we, gotta, we can't stop. We've got to keep going. Hebrews chapter 10, 11 through 24. The next, uh, next exhortation is to hold fast, our conf- hold fast to our confession of faith. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he has said before... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is a remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness, because you don't have sin anymore, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full, assur- full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And here it is again, verse 24. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, 
as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So we have the opportunity to go boldly into the throne of grace because he already took our sins away. We can now approach God with boldness, but we always have to remember that our God is also a consuming fire. We have to approach it with, with reverence, not just assuming that, that all, all of this is done and we can be how we want to be. No, he, we need to be like Christ and come in his name with reverence. Um, and so, so we can go boldly into the throne of grace behind the veil, but if we fall back into a lifestyle of sin and let go of that confession, then how can we enter his presence again? It's logical, but it's challenging. So God's encouraging us tonight. Verse, chapter 10, verse 26 to 31. Uh, I think we'll be okay. Uh, for if we sin willfully... And again, this is a, a lifestyle choice, not, a, not a, a mistake that you repent from. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, because he did it once for all. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, fiery, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Can we get casual on Communion Sunday? Can we think of this blood as just a common thing that we've done since our birth and it was really nothing? Can we go out and, 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 and willfully choose to disobey and to, to sin and, and, and not have a, a broken heart as a result? The truth of the matter is we can, but there's a huge consequence. So hold fast to your confession. And then, then we have the balance of chapter 10, which is waiting on the promise that Jesus is going to return. And this is really keeping our eyes on him. Because when our eyes are on the situation of the day, on the pressures of the world, on the stock market today and the election tomorrow and the, and the kids and the grandkids and everything that's going on in the world, we lose sight of the fact that he's coming again. And he is. And the day is sooner than it was when this book was written, right? 2,000 years sooner. So it could be tomorrow, literally. But look at what he says in chapter 10, verse 36 to 38. He says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for, for you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And, and what's the promise? Chapter, or verse 37 of chapter 10. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. So, if you're going to have need of endurance, verse 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Don't draw back. 
live by faith. And then chapter 11 of Hebrews, we all know well, you know, talks about what faith is and the great hall of fame of faith. Talks about the great folks who went before us uh, and lived by faith, expecting the promise foretold to them, but they never saw the Messiah, waiting until the fullness of time should come. So at the end of Hebrews 11, it, it says in verse 39, and these, all these people in the Hall of Fame of Faith, as we call it today, all of these having obtained a good testimony through their faith, they did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So they, they ultimately received it, obviously, but while they pursued and worked and served for God their lives through, they didn't see that deliverance that had been promised to them in the Messiah. And, uh, and so we need to stand firm and stand past because there's another deliverance coming, which is when he comes back for us. And that's where we need to hang our hat and, and list our faith. So, so this brings us now to the culmination of, of this letter uh, that was written to us, as you can see clearly, as we start into Hebrews chapter 12. So beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll see the first four verses here. Therefore... Since uh, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, bloodshed striving against sin. So let's break this one down, and then we'll, then we'll go to the end of the chapter. So therefore, obviously starts with, you know, why, why is it there? As Pastor John always said, you have to go back and see what it's there for. Well, because there remains a rest, a promise of his return, and because all those folks in the Hall of Fame of Faith, they didn't receive it, now there's one still to be gotten. So therefore, there's one for us to go get, uh, to hang on to. So, so they did not, but they, but they live by faith. We need to emulate that. They stand as a testimony of how to live by faith, and also as an encouragement that they're encouraging us on in our walk in, to live by faith until Christ returns. Then lay aside every weight and the sin. You know, Jesus made perfect through his suffering because he resisted temptations to the end and did not sin. We need to continue to live that lifestyle. And the, the more tired you get, the more weary you get, the more discouraged you get, the harder that becomes. Don't get that way. <laughs> keep your eyes on Jesus, right? If you keep your eyes on Jesus, then all those temptations will fade away, all that weariness fades away, and uh, you have uh, the uh, privilege of resisting temptation. And uh, run your race to the end, being obedient to the Father. We, we have no excuse. Jesus did it. The Hall of Fame of Faith did it. We can do it. We can't do it by ourselves. We have to do it with Christ Jesus. But we can do it. All right, now, this last part in Hebrews chapter 12 is the chastening of the Lord. And, and so I'm not going to read all that detail, but I'm going to move right down to verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 12. Where it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, in other words, rendered useless, but rather it may be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, 
without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Who for one morsel of food stole his birthright. For, For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he he sought for it diligently with tears. Again, the preceding verses of this portion talks about the chastening of the Lord, how the Father loves us, how he chastens his children like any good father would chasten his kids. Um, But his chastening leads to to life and, and health and holiness. So we don't want to forsake the chastening. But here what he's saying is rather the chastening is this. He's saying strengthen, strengthen your hands and your knees. You feel sometimes like you're inept, like you're feeble, like you can't get it done, like something's holding you back. No! Strengthen that up. Take strength and courage in Christ because he can invigorate you to do the work that God's called you to do. He's he's in you to do that, but you need to not follow the, the flesh's desire to lay down and faint, but follow the Holy Spirit, the fire that's in you that you can go and do these things. So, so that's what he's saying to us. Is, 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 and, and sometimes the results aren't seen. You know, some, sometimes you can labor and labor and labor, and you don't know how what you said now will affect somebody 35 years from now when somebody waters on that seed you planted. You may not ever see it, but God knows. And if you're obedient to God, uh, you will be rewarded for it. But we can become weary with persecution, with criticism, with rejection, you know, feeling like we're exiled from the world because we are, um, but we're not really feeling like we're part of the kingdom because we're so worn down. Uh, we're in that no man's land sometimes, and we need to stir ourselves up and run the race until he comes back. Pursue peace with all people without which you hope without, and holiness without which you will not see the Lord. Okay, and then he mentions fornication. Seems like a random thing to pick up, but what's he saying? You know, fornication is sex out, outside of marriage. I mean, he's, he compares that with Esau who for, for a little morsel of bread, right, he gave up his birthright. What he's saying is, look, if you enter into fornication as an example of any sin, right, it's, it's, like, it's like you're taking a piece of bread to give up everlasting life with Jesus. That's what he's saying. You know, so, so don't be seductively pulled away from the consequences of your sin. Now, again, if you make a mistake, confess your sin quickly. Go to the God, the Father, confess, and repent, change. Don't keep doing it, right? But that's what he's comparing it to. Sin is just like this morsel of bread. And, and then if you know the story of Esau, he went to his father and cried out because he realized what he had done, and the father had no, no remorse. There was no changing of the blessing that had gone to his brother. And that's the example in there for us. So if you, if you want that, recognize that you are giving up your everlasting life with the Father. And he'll let us make that choice. He doesn't want that. We don't want that for each other, but, but you can make that choice. So, so then at the end of this chapter, we see uh, a comparison of Sinai and Zion. And let's read this through. Uh, chapter 12, we'll begin with verse 12, uh, and we'll read through 17. Um, yeah, let's do that first. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire, into blackness and darkness and tempest, into the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. 
Verse 20, for, for they could not endure what was commanded. And, and, and so much so that as a, as a beast touches the mountains that it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And look at verse 21. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Wasn't Moses a friend of God? And here he is exceedingly afraid and trembling. He had that same balance of reverence and fear for the Lord as he did that friendship and, and koinonia with him as God would come down and talk to him in the tent of meeting outside the camp. But here in the sight of this amazing and awesome, powerful God, Moses himself trembling and afraid. Verse 22, though, says, But you, this is us, we've come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So, so there's good news in the mountain that we are on versus the mountain that the folks in, in, in Sinai experienced. And, and we need to remember that and reconcile that because of the rest of this part says, chapter 12, and I, I'm sorry, Sharon, I don't know if you have the right thing there. It starts with verse 25. Are you there? Beautiful. Um, I had the wrong headline. Copy and paste problems. Um, thank you for being there. Verse 25. So all of that good news about Mount Zion, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Okay, now let me stop right there. If you don't hear him, that's not an excuse. We need to learn how to hear him and not refuse what he says. For they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. He's coming back for us. And we dwell on this mountain in the presence of a holy God who's the judge of all. It's good news. But there's an exhortation to the church today that's not just for those listening tonight, but for all of us in the church globally especially the church in America, that we've got feeble knees and our hands hang low and we're waiting for God to do something and we're not zealous to know him. We're not zealous to serve him. We're not zealous to carry out his will. We find excuse. We rest in the promise. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. That's not the way he set it up. So the exhortation for us is to press in, to press in hard, to pursue him with all of our hearts and to serve him unwaveringly. I think that's a word. 
And, uh, and you will have your just reward in heaven where there's everlasting reward. Find your place. Take it up and serve him. Stand bold for Jesus. I see an awful lot of pride flag. I don't see a lot of Jesus is coming soon flag anymore. And, and, and we need to be bold. We need to be proud of what Jesus has done. Not in ourselves. We have no pride. We didn't do it, but he did. And he doesn't want anybody. When, when, when everything fades away, the heavens and the earth, you read, the, read Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. This stuff will be melted with fervent heat. It's just going to burn up. And the scientists are saying, wow, look at the solar flares. Maybe something's going to happen in our... Maybe it will. Be ready and bring as many people with you as you can. It's an exhortation. Fear the Lord and serve him reverently, but with gladness and singleness of heart. Father, thank you for this message tonight. We thank you that you have shown us (laughs) you have shown us the traps and snares that lie before us and you have equipped us to avoid them that we can pursue you to the end and not fall away that we can encourage others to not step in those pitfalls and lose them as brothers and sisters you've encouraged us to, to serve you until we breathe our last on this earth when we'll serve you forever in heaven or until you come back for us to serve you single-heartedly not as one of many demands on the earth but you and you alone and your spirit is in us to enable us to do it Father and we ask that you help us to hear your voice through your spirit and not turn away that is our desire to hear your voice and to serve you, to do your will, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Father, that you'll stir up in our hearts the things to do, the right things to do, the right timing of things to do, that your kingdom will come and then you will come and then the end will come. Father, if we've been lax in any area, we ask that you help us to repent of those things. If we had other idols, other, other gods in our life that have taken more of our attention and our passion and our energy than you, help us to repent of that and put them in the right place. That you become first every day and always. Light a fire in us, Lord, and let that fire burn from here to the rest of our congregation, our fellow brothers and sisters, into the other local bodies of Christ in this region. Let your fire burn, your fire that turns us up and turns us on to the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Ghost, Father, that we can impact our region for you. Not by our own intelligence or creativity, but by your fire. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.